We're looking at Matthew chapter 13 tonight. If you did not get a handout, Jim McCormick's been going to and fro. That, that, I shouldn't use that verse. That verse describes the devil, right? Going to and fro. And, uh, but Jim has, I think, passed enough of those out. Tonight we'll do a little more fill-in-the-blank work than we have done in the past because uh, the lesson's not very long. And now I, I, I've got the pulpit a little earlier than normal, but uh, we'll, we'll get, out a, I'll get, uh, get out a little earlier. I go too fast. I tell, I, I, I won't say that because it's not, nothing bad, but I'll, I'm just going to not say what I was about to say. <laughs> I've shared with preachers a time or two to slow down, and then I sometimes go wide open, you know, and it's easy to get excited and get ahead of yourself. You have so much on your mind. Pray for me. I do have a lot going on in my life. On Tuesday, I have to go up Pigeon Forge and board meeting. Have to have everything ready for our seven pastors. Meet with them. And I, you know, we take care of the hotel arrangements and agenda and financial reports. And I don't enjoy really any of that stuff. But it's part of my job. So I'll be doing that on Tuesday. So I'll have kind of a busy week. We're looking at Matthew chapter 13, verse 33. And when you have that, if you'll stand... We'll read this simple verse together. It's not a very long passage tonight. It says, In another parable spake he unto them, The kingdom of heaven is like unto leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal, till the whole was leavened. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal, till the whole was leavened. God bless us tonight. Thank you for the wonderful testimony. Uh, from this family ministering to the deaf. We pray, God, for the deaf in our community that when we come across them, we remember they can read and we need to give out gospel tracts. And God, we thank you for that ministry. We ask you to bless us tonight as we take a look in the book for a walk in the world. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. We remember why Jesus told parables. We're told that in Matthew chapter 13 and verse 11. And since we're in Matthew 13, just go back to verse 11. They asked why he spoke in parables. Because remember, parables are not true stories. They're stories told to illustrate truth. So they're fictional, but they're used to illustrate truth. And when his disciples came and asked him, he answered them in verse 11, because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom. Kingdom of heaven, but unto them it's not given. He's re referencing the Pharisees and Sadducees. So he shared parables to illustrate truth to those that could understand it. He did not cast pearls before swine because they wouldn't have accepted it had he taught them anyway. So he's teaching the disciples, the followers. That's what disciple means. Later they would become apostles when he sent them out and commissioned them. But this verse is unique to Matthew. We talk about parables and the synoptic parables. It's a big word, just means see together. We talk about Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And quite often we'll look at a parable and you'll have the other places on the sheet where it's found. This is unique. And this is the 11th parable out of the 16 Galilean parables. Remember, we're going to talk about Galilean parables, Perean parables, and Jerusalem parables. This is number 11 out of 16. And it's one of the smallest, yet one of the most challenging. I was kind of intrigued that so many scholars differed on things in this little parable. And so we'll look at this today. Uh, we know he's standing on a ship. On the edge of the shore, he had to actually get on the ship to get away from the crowds. They had him backing up and backing up, and 
So he just got up on the ship and that way he wouldn't have to back up anymore. And so he's in this ship and he's teaching these parables. And remember, we are looking at a series of parables. The context remains the same, reaping and sowing, sowing and reaping. And uh, different things about the kingdom and the growth of the kingdom. Uh, remember, the first parable emphasized the soil, and it talked about different reactions to the gospel, how people react differently to the message, right? Some get saved and grow, and some profess salvation, don't grow, and some reject it, and some that get confused, the seed is taken away. And then the second parable emphasized two sowers, the good and the evil, and two types of seed, good and evil. The third emphasized the seed and the abnormal growth of the kingdom. Uh, and uh, how the kingdom would attract fowls, which is, of course, representative of evil. And the last seaside parable, he talks about the spoiling of the meal by the leaven. We know scripture teaches a lot about leaven. And here we have the reason Jesus told the story. He told the story because he wanted to point out that the kingdom will get huge, but it will have bad along with the good. And don't we see this so often, right, in the church today? Uh, we uh, have, have a mixed multitude, like Israel did. I mean, they had evil people, and they had a mixed multitude, and it angered God. And God's not happy with the fact that the church is a mixed batch of wheat and tares, and there's leaven in the good. Uh, and one day God will deal with that. The Bible says in the end he'll separate the wheat from the tares. He'll separate the goat from the sheep and so forth. So this is another one of these kingdom parables. And then Jesus is, of course, teaching a lesson here. And this is one that's not interpreted by Jesus. And some good scholars liken this parable to the gospel's growing power, which can't be stopped. But three or four of them believed that, but about 20 didn't agree with that and felt this was uh, the context here seems to be the same. You know, wheat amongst the tares. We could also throw in another idea of wolves amongst the sheep, which isn't in this context, but that theme is taught. It's a reoccurring theme through Scripture, isn't it? Tares amongst the wheat. And, uh, <clears throat> but most believe that this is all about the context, and, and, and the context is that leaven in Scripture always puffs up and spoils. It's always seen in a negative way. Leaven's always seen in a negative way. Let me say this about leaven. It's another one of these things that God uh, issues commands in the Old Testament and teaches lessons throughout the gospel about some, uh, um, some law or some custom. And there seems to be, you know, a, a great big importance on a seemingly small matter. We've talked about how it was against the law to have two crops on your farm or to have clothing that's mixed. Here's another one of these things because we all enjoy bread. I mean, at five o'clock today, I was eating some bread and, and it had leaven in it and I enjoyed it. So I can't see anything wrong with leaven. So why the principle? Again, God quite often uses hyperboles to, to drive home a point, doesn't he? He wanted us to understand the concept of good and evil, of separation. I would have never dreamed that, you know, in my lifetime, we'd get to a point in our church where there are churches that don't practice 
any separation. I'm not talking about COVID separation. I'm, I'm talking about separation from the world. I mean, there are churches now you walk in today and it's just like being in the world. No difference. And separation is kind of a forgotten thing. Now, some churches preach on it too much. Every Sunday you hear separation, separation. But we have churches that don't have any separation at all. And we have Christians that have absolutely no separation standard in their life. And the Bible says, come out from among them and be separate, thus saith the Lord. So separation is a biblical concept. And it was extremely emphasized and illustrated under the law. But when the law was nailed to the cross, those ordinances were nailed to the cross, we are still expected to take that principle in our hearts and minds and go forward with it. While we can now sow crops, two different kinds of crops on our farm and wear polyester wool blends, and we can now eat leaven, we understand the principle was established. The principle of what? Separation. And God just emphasized that over and over and over. In fact, every law that God issued, 613 of them, and many of them are carried over in the New Testament, many of them are not. A lot of those ordinances are gone, and I'm thankful they're gone. Because, you know, no one could really keep the law. I mean, and it was so difficult. Even the Pharisees, Jesus pointed out that they were violating the law. And they're the ones that went to extremes to keep it. So I'm thankful we're in grace, aren't you? But let's not forget the principles. And I will preach sometimes from the law. Why would you preach from things that we're not under? Because the principle still applies to today. Amen? So here's one of those things where... Uh, you know, the principle applies. We know leaven ruins. And it's just a type, a type of what? A type of sin. Leaven's a type of sin. Today, we take the Lord's Supper, and guess what we do? We use unleavened bread to remember. You know, the Jews, when they took the Passover, they would clean their houses. Every corner, every speck of dust and aged material would be gone. All the juices would be poured out and fresh juice was squeezed and the unleavened bread was used. Now, we don't have to go to those extremes, but we remember the Lord's death by using the unleavened bread and unfermented grape juice. Uh, did I tell you about my trip when I preached at the tomb? Did I tell you that funny story? <laughs> We were in, uh, in the Holy Land, and they were asked me to speak at a couple of stops, and I got to speak in the Sea of Galilee, and then I got to speak at the Garden Tomb. And the Jewish people assembled, I, don't, I guess it was, we don't want to blame everything on the Jews, but our guide somehow had arranged where we could take the Lord's Supper. And so I taught, and I carried the theme, you know, from the Passover all the way to the cross, and we just had a wonderful time there, and then I we ate the bread, and then I said, well, let's take the cup, drink you all of it, and it was fermented. And so they gave me grief, all of us. We learned at the same time, hey, that's fermented. So the rest of the trip, Dan drove us to drinking. That's all I heard the whole time. Uh, but we had a great time. And uh, anyway, we know that leaven is always a type of sin. And we will always have leaven in the church, and we'll have to combat it. We'll have to deal with it. Uh, you know, while I don't like people judging and being critical, I also have had to practice church discipline in several churches over the years where someone had to get up and ask the church for forgiveness. That's clearly taught in 1 Corinthians. So there are certain th sins that have to be dealt with. 
And hopefully they're dealt with privately and people get right. But if not, what do you have to do? You have to confront them the second time with witnesses. And then finally, they have to go before the church. So we have to keep the leaven out and deal with it as best we can. But one day, one day God will present the church. Amen. Perfect. Because of the blood of Jesus Christ, we will be a perfect bride arrayed in white and will be presented to Jesus Christ as his bride. Well, several scholars um, point out that the Jew, to the Jew, leaven was always evil. And we have several verses. We're not going to look these up right this moment. But we're going to look them all up. But note, Jesus mentions leaven several places in the Gospels. Paul mentions leaven in 1 Corinthians 5. We'll look at that later. But remember Galatians uh, 5, 9, a little leaven, what? Leaveneth the whole. And I've explained that. I got ahead of ourselves last week. Remember I said, you take a loaf of bread. And I said, I got, I'm getting ahead of my lessons. But, you know, and you get a little piece of mold. If you leave it there, what happens? I mean, the whole loaf will be ruined. The next day, that'll be a bigger section. So you pull that piece off. Quite often, you can enjoy the bread a few more days. And my mom, we were kind of poor. So we used all the bread. It went in the freezer and it became toast. You know, and uh, those, those were the days. Uh, my kids... They, they, they get, get a kick out of me because I don't let anything go to waste. Rather than let it go in the waste basket, it goes to this waste, unfortunately. So nothing goes to waste in our house because I eat what's old. And they laugh at me because I'm going around all the time. Hey, we have some, some of this left. Would you like some of this, Dad, please? We know we have some left. But uh, I was raised in a different era than my kids. They don't understand. Uh, you know, it was great when I said to my dad, I'm going to college. He said, good luck, son. He never paid, gave me a penny for college, not even for a book. And those were different days. Uh, and I've talked about situations in my life in messages over the years and how I needed a new winter jacket. And I was 12 and my dad said, well, if you stain the fence, I'll give you a new jacket. And I didn't realize how much work it'd be to stain that fence around the whole backyard, both sides. And uh, it was so much work. And that jacket, I mean, it was so valuable to me because I didn't want to stain that fence again to get another one. But when my shoes wore out, I had to go and shovel snow to get shoes. And this has nothing to do with leaven, okay? I don't know why I'm even telling you this, but I got off the subject. I'm not wasting anything. And, and I remember being made fun of in school because I had two pair of pants. And they'd say, he's got his brown ones on today or he's got his green ones. And of course, that led to me getting in little skirmishes, I guess we'd say. But... Uh, anyway, the New Testament, getting back on the subject, uh, I, I should not rabbits all the time. Eleven in the New Testament speaks of several things, but it's always in the negative. False doctrine, sin, and other things as well. Uh, Homer Kent, he believes the woman here mentioned in verse 33 speaks of Jezebel of Revelation chapter 17. Now, he's the only writer that says that, but something you can think about. Study that later. Uh, but we know leaven speaks of false doctrine. And then the meal here, the meal hid, would be speaking of good doctrine. The meal is the good doctrine. The leaven is the false. We know um, first usage is one of our rules of hermeneutics. And that's a big word, hermeneutics. But when you find the first meaning of something in Scripture, that meaning will carry all through the Bible. In Genesis 15, 6, we find, you know, the word grace. And it's the first use of that word grace and grace 
All the way through scripture, we find that. And so many great words that we trace through scripture. And the first use of meal is found with Abraham and Sarah in Genesis 18. The meal was called, the meal offering called for three measures. Here we have a woman hiding three measures. And the Old Testament uses the phrase three fourths of an or three tenths of an ephah. Uh, three parts of flour equal what a woman needed to knead the dough and make the bread. That's all historical stuff, but we always have to remember the historical meanings in Scripture teaches, uh, teaches us what we need to know for today. We make applications, but we always have to know the historical meanings and to be true to Scripture. And I was teaching someone just recently... Um, you know, for instance, I love Psalm 126, 5 and 6, and I've used it as an application in witnessing. He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. You've heard the verse. You've probably heard it preached in conferences. Wonderful verse, but the verse is not about witnessing. It's about Israel returning to the land and crying as they sowed seeds in their homeland and reaping a harvest. So when we do teach so winning from that passage, we have to explain the historical meaning. And then we say, but let's make an application here. We're making an application to witnessing. And it all fits, doesn't it, perfectly? Because when you witness and you sow the seed of the word of God, you will one day be able to reap a harvest. And hopefully you'll have some tears of joy. So that's great stuff. But the historical meaning is always important. And so that's why I mention the three-tenths of an ephah and the, the three measures of meals, so you understand where that came from. Now, tonight we're going to make applications. One of the applications is to trust God, and the kingdom will grow. But the second application is, is what we're going to talk about, and that is that there's going to be leaven in the kingdom. Just expect it. Um, and we know that uh, it was not supposed to be in bread. The unleavened bread wasn't supposed to have leaven. It wasn't allowed in the meal offering. So that's the first, what was not allowed in the meal offering, leaven. So we're going to look at some verses. We're going to look at Leviticus chapter 2, verse 11. Leviticus chapter 2, verse 11. We're going to look about, at about 10 verses tonight. So just bear with us. Leviticus 2, 11. And you'll understand how these apply. No meat offering, uh, which you shall bring to the Lord. That's meal offering which you shall bring to the Lord, shall be made with leaven. Meal offering was not meat, it was meal. And no meal offering, which you shall bring to the Lord, shall be made with leaven. For you shall burn no leaven, nor any honey, and any offering of the Lord made by fire. So you couldn't ever offer an offering, a meal offering with leaven. It had to always be unleavened. Exodus chapter 12, verse 15. And then we'll drop down to Amos. But Exodus chapter 12 and verse 15 says here, and you know this, seven days shall you eat unleavened bread. And even the first day you shall put away leaven out of your houses. So they had to get it out of their houses. You know, you get your yeast out of the house, get all the leavened bread and get it out. Now that's, that's of course, to teach again, to teach the principle of right and wrong. Leaven represented sin. And so when you took the Passover and we take the Lord's Supper, we use unleavened things so we understand that leaven speaks of sin and our Savior was sinless. See, he was sinless. We remember him as sinless. 
And so we still observe the Lord's Supper in that way today. Now, in Amos chapter 4, verses 4 and 5, notice God says sarcastically to offer with a sacrifice. Let's look at those verses. And God's being sarcastic here. I, I love how we see the personality of God in Scripture. You, you know, God looks at us and laughs sometimes. He looks down from heaven and laughs at people. Did you know that? There are so many scriptures where he's sarcastic. There's scriptures where he's angry. I mean, God's personality is seen throughout scripture. Now, God never can sin because he's God. So when I say angry, he could sin without being angry. Uh, we're, we, the Bible says we can, we can be angry and sin not. That's possible for us. But a lot of times when we're angry, we sin. Look at Amos 4, 4 and 5. It says here, come to Bethel and transgress. And God is, is saying this sarcastically. It's very clear in the Hebrew, uh, you know, um, Hebrew commentaries and so forth. Come to Bethel and transgress. What does he say in verse 5? And offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving with leaven. It's irony. I mean, he's just letting them know what he doesn't appreciate. And proclaim and publish the free offerings. For this liketh you, O you children of Israel, saith the Lord God. Adonai God. It's Adonai there, not Yahweh. But here's the thing. He says, come and just go ahead and transgress and, and offer an offering of leaven. God was so upset with Israel throughout her history. I mean, he constantly would warn Israel. Maybe one day we'll study through books. First of the year, we'll have to make a decision. And, and I might go through books of the Bible, but if we go through the period of the judges, you'll just be amazed. Now, judges were not national. Judges were regional. There were a different judge in several parts of Israel, some at the same time. And they all had different groups to deal with. You know, where Gibeon's fighting with the Midianites and, and Samson with the Philistines, you know. But we noticed that a judge would, you know, be in control and he would be victorious and the children of Israel would rejoice and then they would go back into sin and God would send the enemy in. They'd become slaves or servants of the enemy. And then the people would repent. And then he'd send a deliverer. And they'd be delivered. And this was a cycle. It was just continuous. And you find that with Israel throughout their history. I mean, one king after another goes down in defeat. And then God delivers them and they do it again. Now, think of the northern kingdom. They had uh, 20 kings and all of them were evil. In the southern kingdom, you only had eight good kings out of 19. That's why the southern king lasted longer. The northern kingdom fell in 722 to, to Assyria. The southern kingdom didn't fall until 586, and they fell to Babylon. They lasted about 130 or 40 years longer. And so, you know, they had some godly leadership. Someone once used to say, everything rises and falls on leadership. Uh, and we need to have godly leadership in our homes and in our country and in our schools and in our churches. At work, it's nice if you have a godly leader. Sometimes you don't. It's difficult. But God sarcastically says, go ahead and offer a sacrifice and go ahead and offer leaven. In other words, my dad used to say, go ahead, son. Go ahead. And I knew my dad meant I was going to get it if I did. <laughs> go ahead. You know, if, if you... One time I... <laughs> My dad told me, don't borrow my fishing waders because you're a young kid and if water gets in them, it can pull you under and you can drown. So what do you think I did? I borrowed my dad's fishing waders. He's at work and I went out in the lake and I fished and I put them back in his gun cabinet and he, I knew he'd never know. 
But I found out he did figure it out because a few months later, the whole basement stunk. And my dad wondered what in the world stinks. And he searched that basement and he, of course, he got close to the gun cabinet and the smell. I had left night crawlers in the pocket of the gun cabinet. And they were now maggots and they were rotten and they were disgusting. And so I thought <laughs> I got away with it. You know, the expression, the wheels of justice turn slowly, but they turn. That was one of those deals. You know, a week or two later, I'm in trouble. And uh, my dad would sometimes say to me in a sarcastic way, go ahead, son. If you, if you, you think that's a smart decision, go ahead and do it. But I knew by the sarcasm of my dad, it's, it's his clever way, a kind way of saying, that's a dumb decision and you know better, don't do it. And God talks to his children like that some, doesn't he? He says to Israel, go ahead. You know, I, I, I even think of Jesus saying to Judas, Judas, go do what you need to do. Now that's a paraphrase, but that's what he said, didn't he? Judas, go ahead and do what you need to do. What do you think Judas is thinking? This man treated me nice for three and a half years and the whole time he knew what I was doing, I was betraying him in the end and he knew it and he just tells me to go ahead and do it. God is all knowing, we know that. Look at Genesis 19.3. Genesis 19.3. Now think about this. This is prior to the giving of the law. Genesis 19.3. Let me explain a little something about the chronology of Scripture. While we're not under the law, and the handwritten ordinances, much of it is repeated. You know, thou shalt not kill. The New Testament says, don't kill and don't steal. So many of the things are repeated. In fact, nine of the ten are repeated. The only one we're not under is the Sabbath. The seventh day is no longer the day of worship. They worship on the first day of the week because that's the resurrection day. So they begin to meet on the first day of the week. We know that. But everything prior to Exodus chapter 20 is not law. Abraham, in fact, everyone, by the way, so I need to make that clear. Everyone was saved the same way we are. They didn't know the Messiah's name, but they knew a Messiah would come. We know his name, but everyone was saved by faith. But a lot of times we want to rule out stuff in the Old Testament. We say, well, that's law. Genesis was not law. Capital punishment is instituted in Genesis, and I believe in capital punishment. I mean, I, I think of our country and, uh, you know, if we have prisons overcrowded with people, we've had video of them committing violent murders. DNA, plenty of witnesses, and, you know, before the law, capital punishment was, was instituted. You know, the Bible says, he that sheddeth man's blood by man, his blood should be shed. So it's clear, and that's before the law was ever given. So don't rule out the teachings of Genesis as far as applying to today. While the laws, the ordinances were nailed to the cross, there's a whole lot of stuff in the Old Testament that applies to us today, that in Genesis Genesis chapter 19, verse 3. And he pressed upon them greatly, and they turned into him and entered into his house, and he made them a feast. Of course, this is a terrible meeting at Sodom and the meal at Sodom, and did make unleavened bread. So before the law, Abraham was already taught some things. How did Abraham know to tithe? He didn't have the law. The law didn't come to Moses. Abraham met with God face to face. So God, 
in a face-to-face -face meeting taught him things. Melchizedek was a man of God and evidently he had taught Abraham maybe as well. So Abraham was tithing even before the law was given. But here we have an example of something before the law, unleavened bread. When I was in Israel, we went over to the Jordan side and in the bus, the Jordanian man stopped at a bread shop. He wouldn't stop on the Israel side and they changed leaders at the border so you don't have a Israeli guide going into Jordan. You got a Jordanian and right away he wants us to spend money in Jordan. And when you travel along the boundary of Israel, the Israel side is just blooming and beautiful. And then as soon as you're crossing the Jordan, it's just terrible looking and there's just trash everywhere and poverty. So apparent that God's chosen people live across the tracks or on the other side of the road, so to speak. But anyway, he stops this bread shop and he brings, he gets all this bread for us and hands it. It's all unleavened bread. Sort of like pizza dough is what it reminded me of, you know, before it rose, you know, it was just that real thin, but it was real tasty. And uh, that's, the Jews ate that a lot. Just, in, they didn't always have stuff to make the bread rise. Do you know if you swallow money, you can eat some yeast to raise the dough? Um, <clears throat> it's bad. But the Jews would often eat unleavened bread every day just for other reasons, and they would dip it into a sauce, and, and uh, that would give it a lot of flavor. And so you dip it in what was called the sop, is what we find it called in Scripture. It was some spicy liquids with oils, olive oil, no doubt. Today we have certain restaurants that will make sure you have bread and you'll have olive oil to dip it in. That goes way back to Bible times. But anyway, I've gotten off the subject again. I'm thinking about bread. Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. Now let's look at something practical. Something practical. You have learned the context. You have learned all about leaven. I think you're well aware. Uh, if you drop down to the line before the bottom of the line, it says, what does Paul say in 1 Corinthians 5, 7? He says this, uh, purge out the leaven. Purge out the leaven. So if you want to drop down to the second to the last line, what does Paul in 1 Corinthians 5, 7 tell us to do with leaven? Now we're going to Matthew. Don't worry about that. But you can write, purge it out. And that's something to remember. That's something to remember. 1 Corinthians, the church at Corinth was an evil church. I preached at churches named Corinth. And you always wonder, why would they name the church Corinth? Corinth Baptist. Um, but, you know, uh, there were some good things in the Corinthian church, but it was just an evil church in many ways. When you think about what they were doing, they were getting drunk at the Lord's Supper. Uh, there was um, <laughs> what we would call ancestral relationships. A young man with his mother-in-law, just goofy stuff like that, not goofy, serious sin. There was so much going on, division and, you know, all kinds of terrible things going on. And how did they deal with it? They purged out the leaven. And that's the whole point of church discipline. When someone does things like extortion, they have to be purged out of the church. That's why you have church discipline, to purge the leaven out of the church. Now, you don't purge people out of church for minor things. And if someone repents, you don't purge them out of the church. You know, I think sometimes we are, are quick to, you know, jump onto people and, and rebuke people. And we'll learn about that rebuke coming up on Sunday, but as we'll be in the, the Laodicean church Sunday. But here uh, he says, 
Paul says, purge out the leaven. Get rid of it. Folks, get rid of it, not just in church. Get rid of it in your life. Get rid of it in your life. Get rid of it in your home. You have leaven in your life, get it out. That's a type of sin, remember. Get rid of it because it'll hurt you. Just like our body, uh, I cut myself a little bit tonight and I broke a picture here in church. <laughs> Hadn't told anybody what it is yet. <laughs> Moving and adjusting the picture fell and it broke and I cut myself a little, I was so embarrassed. I thought if the church people walked in now, I look like an idiot and I cleaned it up. You'll figure out what it is. You'll hear all about it, I guess. In fact, you're the ones that heard about it, so I'm sure it'll spread. And uh, anyway, uh, I just, I just, you know, uh, I don't know what in the world I got on. What was I talking about? Eleven. Uh, I was talking about, uh, help me, Lord. I get off on these subjects too much. But uh, I was talking about Sunday. What are we going to learn Sunday? What word? Well, you're not listening, so I don't feel quite as bad. <laughs> well, get rid of it. And I don't know how I got off on that subject. But I was going to share something with you. Get rid of it in your life. It represents sin. And so many times, you know, we have a, oh, I know what I was going to say, the little cut. There we go. You know, sometimes you have a little cut or an ingrown toenail or a, you know, sciatic nerve problem. And what does that do to you? It affects the entire body. And the reason we have to purge out leaven is because if one person in the church is in sin, it hurts the whole church. The principle is extreme with Achan. Now, we don't deal with things that way, but remember he hid treasure and the whole army was defeated and God called him out and killed him and all of his descendants. That's pretty extreme. So God's principle is clearly taught, carried over to the New Testament. We need to get rid of the leaven. It hurts the whole body. So that's what I was going to say. Thank you, Lord, for giving me a little bit of a memory. Matthew chapter... 16. This is the practical part I want to, well, the other stuff is practical as well, but we want to close with these two lines here, Matthew 16, 6, 11, and 12. Look what it says, 16, 6, 11, and 12. Then Jesus said unto them, take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Jump over to verse 11. How is it that you do not understand that I spake? It is not to you concerning bread that you should beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. So he, he says to them, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. And don't you understand what I'm talking about? I'm not talking about bread. And then he tells them what he's talking about. Verse 12. Then understood they how, they how that he made them beware of the leaven of bread, not of the leaven of bread, but the doctrine of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. That explains a lot, doesn't it? I mean, that explanation makes it clear. The whole idea of talking about leaven is to illustrate the importance of getting rid of the sin. And he says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees, which is their doctrine. And what was their doctrine? You're saved by keeping the law. They weren't saved. They never accepted Jesus. Now, at least the Judaizers trusted Jesus, but they went back into the law. Paul talks about them in Galatians chapters one through three. But here Jesus says, beware of the leaven of the, it's their doctrine. And then finally, Luke chapter 12. 
Obviously, bad doctrine. I mean, you understand that. It's not just their doctrine. It's their bad doctrine. We could, we have to say that, but um, doesn't say the word bad there, but what's very much implied. Luke chapter 12, verse 1, and this is where we'll close. Luke 12, 1. In the meantime, when they were gathered together in innumerable multitude of people, insomuch that they trode one upon another, can you imagine this crowd? He began to say to the disciples, his disciples, first of all, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. And then he describes it as this, which is what? Hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is a word that means play acting, pretending to be something you're not. I always get a kick out of when someone from Hollywood, you know, tells me how to live my life. I always laugh at that. They, live, they have a life pretending to be someone they're not, and they're telling us how to live. But I hate to pick on Hollywood. There's a, occasionally there's a, a rose amongst the thorns. But um, this hypocrisy. You know, Jesus was a carpenter. And as we study the geography of the land and we study culture and customs and history of Israel, we think of a carpenter today, we think of someone that's making wooden things. That probably was part of it, but as you look at the land, there weren't a lot of trees and there was a lot of masonry. So Jesus probably built a lot with stone and bricks. And one time when he's called the Pharisees hypocrites, play actors, he's right near a huge theater in Sephora, which he probably helped build. The irony of that, and we'll talk about some of that Sunday, not that itself, but he always was a master at object lessons. We'll learn that on this coming Sunday. But thank you and God bless you. Any questions or comments before we dismiss in prayer?